We're in Matthew chapter 5, looking at the last Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want to give you a couple of historical accounts. The year is 1655. The place is in France, in the valley of the Piedmont. A certain man of Trasinari, servant of Facabo Michaelino of Bobbio, being taken prisoner the 8th of May, received divers stabs with a dagger in the sole of his feet and in his ears by the hand of one Giulio Roach. A famous massacre of Lucerna and another called Mandolin, who afterwards cut off his private members and then applied a burning candle to the wound, frying it with the flame thereof, so that the blood might be stopped and the torments of the miserable creature prolonged. This being done to their minds, they tore off his nose with hot pincers to try if they could, by any means, to force him to renounce his religion. But when nothing would do, they tied one of his legs to the Marcus of Lucerno's mule and so dragged him along the streets till such time as he had almost entered his painful life. And then binding his head about with a cord, the strain and twisted the same with a staff so hard that it made his eyes and brains drop out of his head. In the end, when they had sufficiently satiated their appetite with all the variety of the cruelties they could well devise, they cast a dead carcass into the river that so both one and the other elements might be the better enabled one day to bear witness against this barbarous and inhumane action. A couple of years earlier, in September of 1651, in Lynn, Massachusetts, Bay Colony. The streets were lined with jeering and sympathetic spectators as Deacon Holmes was led to his punishment. A large crowd formed a circle around the whipping post. Many people defied the authorities and encouraged Holmes to be true to his faith. The executioner stepped forward. He held a whip that had three hard leather thongs, each lash would slice three gashes into Holmes' naked back, 
Drawing his arm back behind him, the flogger thus gave extra power to his furious blows. The sound of the leather upon the flesh was mingled with sympathetic groans from the crowd. Three times the flogger stopped and sped on his hands, took a renewed and firmer grip upon the handle, and, and with energy that came all the way from his toes, he struck the bloody pulp of Obadiah Holmes' back. Thirty blows cut ninety bloody gashes in the Baptist deacon's flesh. For twenty days and nights, the only way Holmes could sleep was on his stomach or propped on his knees and elbows. And so what were the terrible crimes that brought such punishment upon these men? The crime of the man in France, he was a Baptist that refused to deny his lords and his convictions, so was killed by the order of the Catholic Church. The crime of the man in Lynn, he was a Baptist that dare have a Bible study in a blind man's home in Massachusetts territory, controlled by the Puritans. Today, as we end this study on the Beatitudes, we find that as the Lord began, as we emphasized the other ones, that he began by saying, blessed, extremely happy. And that he is concerned for our happiness. To understand that these verses are very fundamental to life itself. When a man sees himself as poor in spirit, bankrupt, it's going to drive him to the Savior, and he will become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That bankrupt sinner is going to mourn over his fallen nature. He's going to be comforted in receiving Christ as his Savior. It's going to produce meekness in him. The meek man is going to mourn over his sin. He's going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's going to cause him to be merciful. It's going to cause him to want to be a peacemaker between man and God and man and man. And the natural outcome of verses 4 through 9 is going to be persecution. I think it's interesting that it took two verses and two pronouncements of being blessed to address persecution. It's always God is going to try to give extra encouragement here that yours is a kingdom and that you can rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. And so we have the words, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. 
I think it's important to note what the persecution came from. He did not say we're persecuted for being objectionable. He did not say we're persecuted for being difficult. He did not say we're persecuted for being offensive. And there's a difference between ourselves being offensive and the word of God causing an offense. He did not say we're persecuted because we're fanatics. But he said, blessed are they who were persecuted for righteousness sake. Peter had a comment on this when Peter wrote in, I'll just read it for you, but in chapter, Peter, 1 Peter, in the fourth chapter, he said, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. And so there's, there's persecution that comes from you know, wrong behavior, but he's talking about persecution that comes from being righteous. It's for, uh, one commentator said, it's for the righteousness sake, let us be very clear about that. We can bring endless suffering upon ourselves, we can, be, we can create difficulties for ourselves which are quite unnecessary because there are some rather foolish notion of witnessing and testifying or because in a spirit of self-righteousness we really do call it down upon our own heads. And so sometimes, you know, it's sad to say, and, and I know the Lord blesses his word, but some witnessing opportunities that people take are nothing but foolishness. And it's kind of sometimes just trying to say, do you have the guts to do this when, uh, when it's really foolishness? But here, he, the, the persecution came out of wanting to be right and live right, righteousness. And in fact, uh, we're going to read some verses here, but Persecution ought to be a fact of life for the Christian. Cain killed Abel because of his righteous stand, Abel's righteous stand. It's not as Cain who was that wicked person and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. I think sometimes we are shocked that people don't like us. People don't like who we represent. Let's look at some verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 12. 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul
Paul writes to Timothy as he's pastoring at Ephesus, and and he's reminding him of some things. And he say, he says, "Yea, yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." Now look in Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one and verse twenty-seven. Only let your conversation, that is, your lifestyle, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. And so... We're not to be terrified. And there's going to be adversaries to the gospel and to those that would live righteously. You see, sometimes, I mean, some, I mean, we ought to speak up and give the gospel. But sometimes people don't like us just because of the way we live. Look in John chapter 15 and verse 18. Jesus said in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I spake unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these sayings will they do unto you for my namesake, because they know not him that sent me. Somehow, I think that we at times think that the world will admire us, they applause Jesus Christ and what he's done. And that will be the good old boys. But that's wrong. And we shouldn't go around being obnoxious, but let's realize that we're not going to be the most popular person in the workplace. We think that Christians are nice, popular people who never offend anybody and it's easy to get along with, then we need to read the scripture more closely. Luke said, woe unto you. Be careful. You know, woe means you're, you're on thin ice. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. And I don't think we should go about trying to get every man to speak bad of us. And surely those that take the gospel and hear, the, the, the Bible talks about the, uh, the, the feet of those that preach the gospel are blessed. But uh, we're not going to be liked we're standing for righteousness. And it's all around us. 
Jack Phillips, a baker, I think, in Colorado, was bombarded with requests to make profane cakes, and uh, he drug, drug it out in court simply trying to run his business as a Christian. A man named Stutzman of Flores was eventually forced into retirement because he refused to compromise the traditional Christian faith and wouldn't be involved in a homosexual wedding. In the state of Washington, Joe Kennedy was fired as a football coach because at the end of the game, he prayed in public and the team would go out, those who wanted to, not the whole team was ever required to. And uh, they uh, persecuted him. I think he finally won that case. We might, the world might call it discrimination, but make no mistake about it, it is persecution and it is ramping up. It's coming, and it's going to be put before our hearts. Is it really worth standing for the Word of God? And if you do, and you're arrested, your suffering is not going to be seen as noble. It's going to be seen as deserving. You're going to be considered bigots. You're going to be considered a hate monger if you say that homosexuality is a sin. If you stand to the tenets of Christianity, it's not going to be tolerated. In fact, uh, underneath this administration, I think we see it more and more that uh, the government wants to promote anti-biblical lifestyles. And someday it could be just as they herded the... uh, Jews into the concentration camps, Christianity will no longer be tolerated except that, that kind of Christianity that is uh, compromising. To go to Joel Osteen's church and they'll come back and say, well, he, he thinks that homosexual marriages are okay. And you hear Baptist say it's not okay. And so you don't even, you're not even in agreement with Christianity around the world. You guys are just hate mongers. But you see, they don't really understand what Christianity is. So how are we going to escape this? How are we going to overcome persecution? Well, we need to approve the world's standards. Laugh at the world's immoral jokes. Enjoy the world's entertainments. 
smile when they mock the Bible and mock God. Don't be abrasive when they're using the Lord's name in vain. And just agree, sometimes agree by just being silent, that fornication and adultery and homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle. How can we escape? Don't tell people they're lost and need to be saved. Don't mention sin. Never use the word hell. Well, you can see from that scenario that uh, we're not to escape persecution. It didn't say all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall be left alone. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall dwell in peace. But it said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I'm not saying that we won't have times of peace in some uh, sometime in our history. And I think that, uh, that from 1950, when I was born up to this point, uh, we've had a tremendous freedom to preach the gospel and be in services here today. And of course, COVID really tested that and uh, some uh, great men in the United States took a stand against that and said, no, we ought to be in church and we're going to attend church and, and all of that COVID stuff. I guess uh, <laughs> I saw in the news uh, yesterday or the day before, now the Center of Disease Control says we just need to treat COVID like the flu. Well, the point is, is that, that uh, remember, even when even when COVID was going on, it was wrong for you to assemble in church, but it wasn't wrong to go to assemble in a bar someplace. Persecution. Now, in studying this and preparing to bring it to you, there's a little nagging question that lingers in the back of my mind and settles on the doorstep of my heart. Do all men speak well of me? And could it be that I'm not persecuted because uh, my life is not very righteous. And could it be that I've take the option to remain neutral in a world at war with God? And could it be that I've decided to remain in the stands and watch the battlefield as it rages below me? Could it be that I am miserable in my Christian walk? And I don't really experience what that word happy means. Yeah, I'm a Christian, 
But extremely happy is not a part of my life with the Lord. We can't be accepted by the world and also accepted by God in our walk. The first account that I read to you that took place in the valley of the Piedmont, it was an account that shouldn't even be read in the presence of children. It's horrible. It's horrible what the Catholics did to that man. But it ought to move us to know that the freedom that we do have today which is gradually going away is because uh, men took a stand. And maybe we have to ask ourselves, could it be that here in the United States of America that there, there is a tolerance for Christianity because there's been a great compromise in Christianity. And I know the Bible says as much as possible live at peace with all men and we're to pray towards that end. But you see, uh, sin does affect a society. And if we, if we just want to live in a box in our own little area of the world and, and just uh, not be informed, then uh, let me tell you, it's coming, it's coming not just to the big cities. It'll come. And I think if we take a good look, we'll see the dust clouds from the horses of our enemies on the horizon. In our neighboring country, Canada, A man in Saskatoon was giving out literature showing the outcome for homosexuality and quoting 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He was arrested And William Walcott was found 
guilty for saying that homosexuality was an abomination. He took it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada who ruled just about a year ago in February 27, 2023 that it is a crime a punishable crime by imprisonment to say that homosexuality is sin. That's not back in the 1600s. That was, <coughs> that was over just a few days over one year ago in Canada. I think that uh, a deeper meaning to what the words that Joshua said to the children of Israel. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And a decision like that in the day in which we live brings forth consequences Well, what should I uh, and Pastor Dimlo say to you in such an hour as this? Well, nearly 2,000 years ago, on a mountain, after spending all night in prayer, Jesus comes down on kind of a little level, a little scoop out in the mountain called a plain in Luke. And he addresses both his disciples and a great multitude of lost people. And the spiritual condition in Israel and that part of the world was never worse than it was then. The economics of the world were never worse than it was then. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light when Jesus went into the northern two tribes of Israel. And so they're sitting in darkness. Yet, he's going to choose out 12 men, begin his church, and it's going to be said of those 12 men as they grow, they turn the world upside down. And it's going to be said of those 12 men after Judas is replaced that the world was not worthy of them. What did he say? Well, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, spiritual beggars inherit the kingdom. Blessed are they that mourn, that can mourn over their sin. Blessed, extremely happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, uh, this is not our home. This is not our home. Never was intended to be our home. This is a battleground. And what happens to Christians is uh, we buy into the American dream. And as our economy gets worse and worse, as the price of fuel goes higher and higher, as the borough not only wants to raise the valuation of our house, but they want to raise, take away the tax cap, and they want to have that vote that takes place when the, whether we want to remove the tax cap, they want to have that vote take place on some time in the, in the calendar where people aren't used to voting. And we get all upset. What are they doing to my home? And this world is going to hell in a handbasket. But this is not home. And if we're to have this happiness, this blessedness, that peace, that passes understanding, that a life of purpose the best possible life available to us, we need to begin to apply these beatitudes to our lives. And I find myself so far from them at times. I find myself not even wanting to fight the fight. I want you to go with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 32. It's so they're in a, some kind of a athletic game and we're witnessing some former champions. And these champions are looking how we're running. And in verse 32 of chapter 11, what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets 
who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, Seen also, therefore, seen we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, if we're going to be victorious in our day, we need to lay aside some weights and run. May we obtain the glory of the man in the valley of the Piedmont who would not deny Jesus Christ under tremendous torture. That great Baptist, Obadiah Holmes, before we had states in the United States, stood and after he was beaten to where it said there he couldn't sleep except on his knees and on his elbows and sometimes on his belly. After it was done, he said, it is though they beat me with roses. If we're going to If we're going to be people who count for our Lord, we, may, we must look into him, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And remember that he said, there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above you are able. That in those hours, the closeness with the Lord can be the most precious.
the promise was that the ones that are persecuted, that blessed are these which are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how it worded that. Let me see. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen. Let's remember, let's, let's, just, let's just understand God's not against us enjoying life. But this is not our home. And let's rejoice in the fact that the kingdom is ours. That heaven is ours. That the new heaven and the new earth is where we're going to rule and reign. That's when life really begins. And let's desire to be named among the champions. Let's pray. Lord, today I speak about that which I've never experienced. And the persecution that we've received has been very minimal. And Lord, I am concerned today about desiring that every man would speak well of me. And Lord, uh, I don't want to be offensive. Lord, I really do want to uh, have you speak well of me. And I really do want to hear your words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, you know that we live in a world of darkness, a world of sin, a world of suicide, a world of people running around and running around uh, trying to find some purpose. And we know it's found in you. Help us, Lord, to be what we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen.